In the Word of God, we see two very important subjects, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And today we're going to be contrasting what it looks like to live by Old Covenant, or what we call law, or live by New Covenant, which is what we call grace. And we do talk about this subject commonly, but that's because the entire Bible is filled with this conversation. It's filled with examples and instruction, and it's very, very, very important for us to be able to understand what the Old Covenant is and what the New Covenant is. And so that's why we've been studying it once a month. And we've gone through, we learned what the Old Covenant was in the second study. And remember, the Old Covenant of law is basically those Ten Commandments. It's a set of standards. And and this is a pop quiz, and you get a whole bunch of Jesus points if you can remember. What is the message of the Old Covenant? It's three things. Anyone got it? 20 Jesus points, 25 Jesus points, 30 Jesus points. <laughs> okay, I give them to, to you. You get them. Okay. Um, be holy, be loving, and be perfect. That is the message of the old covenant. Be holy. How holy? As holy as God. Be loving. How loving? As loving as God. Be perfect. You know, but that is the message of the Old Covenant. The problem is that we find is the Old Covenant doesn't help you to be holy, be loving, or be perfect. The Old Covenant doesn't provide those things. And so we studied that. And then we studied the New Covenant and just kind of the basics of it in Lesson 3 a month ago. And what we saw is that the New Covenant does provide, or what we call grace, gives us holiness a loving heart, and a perfectness that, that God requires of us. He gives it to us through grace. And so we learned how do we get grace, and that was very important. So 100 million Jesus points, how do you get grace? You ask Jesus in humility and faith. God says he gives grace to the humble, so there you go. And it says in Romans 5.2, we access grace by faith. So humility and faith are these two things that are required of every Christian. But a lot of times the saddest part is that Christians go to church for years and they never hear that. You know what they do hear? God wants you to cut your hair. God wants you to not get tattoos. God wants you to dress a certain way. God wants you to do certain things and perform according to his standards, which is all going back to the old covenant. If you don't do these things, you're not a good Christian. That's what you hear in church so often today. And it's so sad because Jesus says, I will give you all that you need through my grace. I give it to you. I will make you sufficient. We'll see. So today, we're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures that are going to do a real good job for us of helping us understand the difference in life when you're living by the new covenant of grace or the old covenant of law. So let's get right down to it. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with them, with their fathers, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. 
So he says he's going to make a new covenant. This scripture was written 500 years before Jesus was born. And God is setting the stage, saying what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was going to bring. And he says, I'm going to make a new covenant that is not according to the old covenant. Which covenant was that? The covenant that he gave Israel when they were in the desert. We know that as the Ten Commandments. It's not the same. The new covenant is not a list of rules to follow. Being a Christian is so not a list of rules to follow. It is receiving his grace with humility and faith. Not a list of rules to follow. Such a big difference. These things are so different. In the prophecy of it, Jeremiah 31, he says they're not according. They don't mix. Like oil and water don't mix together. They don't mix. When the new came in, the old was set aside. We're going to see all kinds of those scriptures as we go through this. The, the new covenant is much better than the old covenant. Now, now you're saying, well, the Ten Commandments are great. How can you, are you being offensive by saying the Ten Commandments are lame? No, the Ten Commandments are great too. But the new covenant is vastly superior. So much so that we can say, set aside that law and focus on the new covenant, and it will produce all that the Ten Commandments could not produce in our lives. So the new is much better, and we have to be skillful at being able to tell the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Am I doing this because there's a list of rules I'm holding myself to? That's old covenant living. Or am I doing this because the life of Christ has so filled me and transformed me that my new nature and desire is to obey in all things? That's new covenant living, right? And we've talked about that before. But there's so much confusion when we tell believers that Jesus is all sufficient and Jesus' death on the cross is everything they need, but then they need to add to what he did by their efforts or their works. That's a really confusing thing to hear. And people spend years trying to figure it out because it's not true. Those two systems do not accord together. Do you know the only time Honda is mentioned in the Bible? That's right, in Acts, when they all drove in one accord. They all traveled in one accord. You'll remember that now. All right. Being in accord means, means you're... Being in accord means you agree. And these two systems do not agree on how to produce righteousness. The old covenant system produces righteousness by your efforts and your works. Period. The new covenant system says, I disagree. I produce righteousness in your life through faith in Christ. He will give you righteousness. Period. You do not need to earn it. He will give it to you. And those are two very different systems that do not agree. And we find ourselves choosing one of these systems every day. You choose which one you want to live in. And we're going to see so many different things today about why we should choose the new covenant because it's vastly superior than the old covenant. So in, uh, in, in, there's a story about this new believer. This wife and husband uh, were married for a long time. The wife came to know the Lord and the husband had uh, wasn't and and she'd prayed for him for so long and finally one day he comes to church and he he hears the gospel and he believes it 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Everyone's she's so happy. She's like, yay. And he's like, what do I do now? And she's like, go to the new believers class. So he goes to the new believers class and he signs up and puts his email down and goes 10 weeks. He's going to go to this new believers class. He goes for 10 weeks. And at the end of 10 weeks, he come in and he, he takes his Bible and he just flops it down the table and he says, I'm done. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I'm done. Don't ask me to go back to church. Don't pray for me. Nothing, nothing. I'm done. And she's like, what happened? This is not good. And he says, listen, I decided to become a Christian because I was convinced that I could do nothing to save myself. But then I went to this class that taught me all the different things that I need to do to change myself. And he says, I didn't sign up for that. I don't want that. And I can't do that. So I'm done. And what's wrong about that story, what's terrible about that story is that it's pretty common. He wasn't being taught the correct good news. He was given the good news at the beginning, and then it was a bait and switch. And, it, and they took away the good news and gave him works that he needed to do, things he needed to focus, all kinds of stuff. And he already was convinced by the gospel of his need. And now he was being forced to meet that need himself. Instead of simply being taught Come to Jesus for everything you need. Just like he saved you, he'll transform you and change you. That is such an easier way to do discipleship, okay? So that's what we're really focusing on here. Let's, uh, let's look at the book of John, chapter 1. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word? Jesus. 10 Jesus points for you. All right. And uh, he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of what and what? Jesus was full of grace and truth. He's the word. He revealed God to us. If God spoke a word, it was Jesus. And he was full of grace and truth. How full? As full as God, right? He's, he's bottomless. He has infinite stores of grace and truth. He contains all of it. Now look in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you see that there is a contrast between the two systems? Jesus bringing grace and truth, and he's full of it. Whereas Moses brought the law, and he was full of law. He had 10 laws, and then he just added 612 more. 613 more. Hey, let's just, 10 is not enough. Let's do more. Moses was full of law. But Jesus didn't give, uh, Moses didn't give either grace or truth. Um, and that's not the way that Jesus has established. Law didn't bring the people into the promised land. Do you notice that Moses was not allowed to bring the people into the promised land? And that is by very specific design. God did that. Who did take them in after Moses? Do you remember? Joshua. What's Jesus' name in Hebrew? Joshua. Wow. Amazing. Like God's like, this is this simple. Joshua is who take, can actually take people in to the victorious Christian life. All right, let's look at the next verse, which is verse 16. We're backing up one verse. It says, of his fullness, what's Jesus full of? Grace and truth. We have all earned by working really hard. Oh, doesn't say that, right? We have all received. And then it says, and grace for grace, which is just a a fancy way of saying grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, a grace that never ends, 
Grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus has designed a system where you never stop receiving his grace. So you get saved one day. Thank you. Amen. You get saved one day by his grace. Amen. Praise the Lord. Then the next day you wake up and you're like, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. What do you need that day? Grace. And God's grace comes and says, I know. And guess what? I'm going to forgive your dirtiness. I'm going to cleanse your rottenness. And I'm going to transform you today. Then the next day you wake up and you're still a dirty, rotten sinner. What do you need? God's grace. This is the system he's designed. We never cease coming to him and asking for his grace, which personally is called his Holy Spirit. His grace is not just a system. It's not just a way. It is a person. We're asking him, God, give me you. Give me your spirit inside me and it will transform you. This new way that God has provided all that we need for grace. He meets all of our needs. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. I'm going to cruise along here. We're going to look at so many verses today. Your head's going to be spinning, but that's why I gave you the paper so you can go back and study these things, pray over them yourself, okay? Acts chapter 20, verse 24, and then we'll look at verse 32. Paul, not just Jesus talks about grace. Paul talks about grace a lot. And Paul is going around all the world planting churches. And what does he do when he plants churches? He teaches them what they really need to know. And then he leaves. And this is one of these churches that he has planted. And he is about to leave. And look what he says here. First, about his own ministry, what he's doing. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the, what? Grace of God. So for Paul, his entire ministry was simple. He, he wasn't going around with church planting seminars. He wasn't trying to do all these things. He, all he was doing was explaining and glorifying the grace of God. He was teaching people what, it, what the grace of God was. It's not something he figured out for himself. He received. The, do you see that word? He rece- I received from the Lord Jesus. That's how ministry is supposed to work. We receive it, which means we've asked for God to do something, and we receive it. We never earn it. We receive ministry. Again, where does Paul say law teaching is crucial to ministry? He doesn't. He said teaching people about grace is what's crucial to ministry. Not teaching them how to, not teaching them what to do, but teaching them how to receive Jesus. Then what they do will just naturally work out. They will naturally obey the law when they've learned and received God's grace. It's so important. Look at verse 32. So now he's officially leaving them, and look what he says in verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his Ten Commandments, which is able to... That's not what it said, right? Yeah, you a sneaky pastor here. You got got to be careful. The word, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul knows that his ministry was all about grace. What God was doing in him was all about receiving God's grace. So naturally, he's going to want to reproduce this same work in the churches that he established. So the ministry of grace here, it teaches us, this verse teaches us two things about what grace is able to do. 
Uh, number one, we'll do the second one first. It's able to give you an inheritance. And every Christian knows what that means. It means you're adopted into God's family. You're saved. And that's the simple uh, thing called justification, the starting out with God. Every Christian understands that. If you don't understand that you're saved by grace, guess what? You're not a Christian yet. If you think you have something to do with it, you're not a Christian yet. Now, the second part is the part that is so misunderstood. He said grace is able to build you up. And that's what we call sanctification or the, the daily process of becoming more like Christ. The day you get saved, you started that process. But then every day you wake up and every day you live is the, is the continuing in that process. So it's able to transform you. So why waste time on something that is not able to transform you? You know what's not able to change someone? Telling them they should change. That doesn't change anybody. You know what? You should not be so ugly. <laughs> there was a pastor once that, uh, the, the, you know, back in the day, this used to be a big issue. Should women wear makeup in church uh, or at all? And uh, this woman came up very serious. Pastor, should I, should I wear makeup? My, I'm confused about the whole issue. And he just looked at her with love in his eyes and said, you know what? If the barn needs painting, paint it. I just remembered that story for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> the law, these Ten Commandments that we love and we know are right, we know the standard is good, it, it doesn't have the ability to change us. Whereas grace, we read right here in the Bible, does have that ability. The new covenant does have that ability. The old covenant does not. So why? When we tell a lie, do we tell ourselves, I shouldn't have told a lie? We just use law and we think by telling ourselves a lie, it's going to transform us. No, what we need is to engage with Christ and say, I've broken your law that is holy, just, and good. And I need your forgiveness and I need you to transform me. That is a heart that is so much different. It transforms so differently than just a law. Make sense? All right, we're going to move on. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 I'm skipping a lot of these, the notes in here because you can go back later and, and really dig into this. Uh, Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Grace is so much better than the law because it can actually set you free from life-dominating sin. Do you know no one has ever stopped drinking because of a 10-step program? And what I mean by that is no one has ever truly glorified God and been set free from drinking by a 10-step program. Because the only way to have freedom from life-dominating sin is by grace. And grace is given as a gift, not as a reward for completing steps. Does that make sense? It cannot work that way. And God is not glorified when you try hard to stop sinning and you succeed. Sinning was not the original problem. The original problem is you ignoring God. And now God is offering you his help by grace. And you say, I know what, let me stop sinning first. Hang on. And, and God's like, why are you ignoring me again? I can make you stop sinning anytime I wanted, but I'm more interested in you learning that I'm a father and I want to walk with you and I want to give you myself for the victory. 
the 10-step programs just don't glorify God as much as the work of God's Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. And this is where it gets really kind of down to the, the bottom level. It's simply offensive to God and Jesus to believe any other philosophy could produce righteousness besides the grace of God. So I will naturally offend a lot of psychology majors. And I'm, I'm sorry, but it just will never work. Man-centered psychology just will never work. And yes, you can understand the way people's minds work, and there's, there's great value in that. And there's value in, in parts of it. But if you want to produce change in someone's life, the only way that that is viable, that that is real, can be the grace of God. It's just like asking someone with a psychology, can you raise this dead person, please? How can you give life when you're not the source of life? It just will never work. Many people believe freedom from sin or addiction comes through effort and self-discipline. But the scriptures say that it must be plainly by grace. And Paul says, I will not set aside the grace of God. This is the only strategy for ministry. If you, if you like the word strategy, if you like planning, then great, plan around God's grace. How can I encourage people to reach out to God and receive what he is wanting to give? That's our plan. That's all we have. It's our strategy. So we're going to look at a few verses that are going to just contrast for us the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. We're going to kind of be chilling in 2 Corinthians chapters, uh, chapter 3 here. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 6 and verse 14. It says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then verse 14, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. So through Christ, the first part said we get everything that we need and without Christ, you're going to read the Bible and nothing's going to make sense. So Jesus is the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. If you live your Christian life, by all the rules, a Jew could do the same thing. And a Muslim could do the same thing. If we live our entire Christian life without ever saying, Jesus, help me, Jesus, give this to me, and trusting in him, how are we different than any other religion? We're not. Because they are religious systems also based on works, just like the old covenant was, just like the Ten Commandments. So the new covenant is vastly different because Jesus is the difference. Jesus actually produces all that the old covenant required men to do. Jesus is what God gives us when we realize that we can't keep the law. 
because that's one of the jobs of the law. That's one of the things that the rules can do. And that's why we don't just throw away the rules and never read the Old Testament. We study it vigorously because what the Old Testament does is it convinces us that we are lame and that we cannot do it on our own. The Old Testament, when we read those rules and commands, it just convinces us that we cannot do it. So back in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. So the contrast here is ink versus the spirit. Living old covenant, law-based life looks like ink and living a new covenant, grace life looks like the spirit. Ink is dead and it's a cold standard to live by whereas the spirit produces life in us. It's warm and living. That's how it could be described. God being alive and living in us and through us. He's not giving us a script that we need to follow, but he's alive in us. The next one, same verse, but we see another contrast in there. When he contrasts the tablets, not on tablets of stone, that is tablets, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. See, the old covenant, the law, the rules, what were they written on? Tablets of stone. And those were outside the body. Those were external. And, and so to engage with God and to read his standard and it was always external. I, okay, let me try to keep that one and try to keep that one. I'm going to forget about that one, pretend like I didn't hear that one because I don't like it. It's this external thing. And even when Moses got angry and he ground up and broke the Ten Commandments they, and tried to make the people eat it, that still didn't make it inside them because that has to be a work of God. That has to be a work of the Spirit. And that's why he says, God, through the New Covenant, when we, when we, when we set aside these rules to try to please God. Instead, we approach God through Jesus. It changes our hearts. And that's what the difference is. A list of rules has never changed hearts or else we could legislate morality in this country. But we can't. Even if you made rules saying don't ever lie or don't ever do anything bad, can, does it work? No. So the next contrast is verse 6. Who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not the letter, but the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So this contrast is very simple. It's the letter and versus the Spirit. The letter could never make someone sufficient to serve God. It only points out insufficiencies. You can't have a relationship with a letter. If, you, if your long-lost love writes you a letter, do you kiss the letter? Do you, do you fall in love with a piece of paper? No, it's a dead thing. The reason why it's important to you is because it represents the person, okay? And, and with the new covenant, we actually get the person, not just the letter. That's the difference. So the next one is quickly. I know I'm going quick, but you can, again, look at these on your own. A ministry of death versus a ministry of life. Wow, what a difference. He says, made us sufficient as ministers, the new covenant, not a letter, but the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, whoa, would you hate for your ministry to be called a ministry of death? Oh, I go to the church of the ministry of death, which was written engraved on stones was glorious, but yet we have all these churches 
that tends to emphasize the rules on the Ten Commandments. In fact, you walk in, there's Ten Commandments everywhere, all over the place. And I understand, but some of them really, that's all their whole plan is. Come to church and learn the rules and keep the rules. Go have a good life. It's never going to work. It's the ministry of death, Paul calls it. If it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be much more glorious? Always holding people up to a standard that to try and honor God is a ministry of death because people will eventually give up because they will eventually realize that they can't meet this standard. Teaching them and introducing them to Jesus and how to be filled with him so that they're raised above the standard, is the true way of the new covenant. And I don't want to be just one of those guys that's just beating you over the head with the standard. This is how you should be. This is how you should be. Because we all know the standard. And just telling you, you shouldn't do that, is going to be a ministry of death. That's just how it works. And check it out. Moses it gives this little story here. It just references it, that Moses' glory was fading on his face. Do you remember when Moses got the Ten Commandments? He came down, his face was glowing. It's talking about that. He says, hey, the Ten Commandments are glorious. They're awesome. But what happened is that Moses, it says the glory was passing away. He couldn't maintain the life that he was expected to live. So as, as days went by, we're going to see Moses put a veil over his face because he was embarrassed that his life didn't even measure up to God's glorious standard. And what we get is the life of Christ in us so we don't have to be ashamed. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So another way it can be described, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds in much more glory. So when we're focused on doing ministry by law, what it always looks like is condemnation. You have failed. Again, how long am I going to bear with you? You know, it's just constant condemnation. You always feel like you're not measuring up. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah, it should not be because Jesus does not feel that way about you. God's grace says, you are enough because I put my spirit in you and my spirit is enough. That's what the gospel says. When you feel that you are not enough and that you have not measured up, that is you putting yourself back under the law and it's true. You are guilty. You don't measure up when you're under the system of law. But when you believe in Christ, when you place yourself under grace and you believe that he's sufficient, then you're raised up and you can know, be confident in a couple of things. Number one, I'm forgiven of my sin. Number two, God will work in me as I relate to him with humility and faith. He will change me. So no, gone are the feelings of condemnation and instead it's a ministry of righteousness, it says. Righteousness, where God forgives your sins so you're righteous, and then he changes you so that you behave righteously. It's a really great way that Jesus works that the law just doesn't do. And the next one, fading glory versus remaining glory. 
If what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Keeping, uh, law-keeping religion passes away. It can't endure um, because Jesus says nothing started in the flesh will survive, whereas grace produces the lasting fruit. That's why Moses, is, had, to, Moses had to hide his face. And we see that in our next one here too, Sus- substantial glory versus excelling glory. And um, um, we already read that text, but it says that the law had a little bit of glory. It was good. The law's standards are excellent. And it all foreshadows Jesus. And all that means that the Ten Commandments are good. No one in here is an antinomian, which means we say we should do away with the law. The law is good because it foreshadows many good things. But grace is much more good. It's much more glorious because it actually produces the, the, what the law said was good. It produces it in our hearts. So it's called an excelling glory in our text. All right. Now, our last thing that we're going to do is we're going to contrast bondage versus liberty. And this is really cool. The law does nothing except tie you up in bondage, and it keeps you uh, bound up, and, and whereas grace actually frees us. And I'm gonna, we're going to learn about how in, in this text here, 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, and uh, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when, the veil, when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We could spend like 30 weeks on those verses, digging every single thing out of there. But just suffice us to say, the bondage of the law is that we can't see a way out. Its standards are too high. We can't see. A veil is like I, 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 a veil is on our heart when we read it. We are bound to keep every part of it, and it keeps us bound. It's, it's a bummer. So, but the Spirit transforms us. The law binds us, saying you're never going to get out of this. You will always be required to meet this standard, but the Spirit transforms us. Totally different thing. We're free from trying to keep those standards because we're lifted above them by grace. The law simply describes what grace would accomplish. So why would we stay focusing on what what the description is uh, when we can actually receive the Spirit? Let's see uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 21. It says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? Paul's a bit snarky right there. He says, you, if, you, if you're really listening to the law, you're not going to want it. Uh, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. These are the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, the old covenant, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So this reference is a story from the Old Testament that Paul says is a perfect description of what we're talking about. 
Ishmael, the son of Abraham, the first son, was a slave in his father's house because his mom was a slave, and the whole thing was a big mess. Because Ishmael was born because of flesh-based efforts. Do you remember the story of how Ishmael was born? God said, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. Abraham's like, I'm old. And, and God's like, I don't care. You're still going to have a kid through your wife. And Abraham's like, you're crazy. Let me help you out. Let me, by my flesh, figure out a way to accomplish God's will. Let me try to do what God should be the one doing. Which is exactly what we say when we wake up in the morning and we say, I don't need Jesus to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in my life today. I can get up and do it on my own. It's the same thing. And he gives birth to Ishmael. And what was Ishmael? A slave. Bound. Never able to get free. But then God gave Isaac. And Isaac was a son of promise because he was born by faith. God said, I promise, even though it's crazy, I will come through for you. And Isaac was born. And that's how it works. If you have to live your Christian life by efforts, you're still a slave. And that's the most true part of today. If you enjoy your position as a son, like Isaac, you are at rest from the efforts of the flesh. You are not a slave anymore. If you can just say, I have been adopted and I am being built up by Jesus and all I do is humble myself before him and trust him, you are the definition of freedom in the Bible. That is what it means. So then he says, stand fast, therefore, in the next verse, chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with, by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Is that sin? Is that what he's talking about? No. It's law-keeping religion that is the yoke of bondage. It's the Ishmael stuff. It's thinking, I need to produce what God should be doing. That's what the yoke of bondage is. It's when we get into this performance-based religion that we truly have been brought into bondage where Christ makes us free. And guess what? You, you still will fail, but you fail e- either way. But God will produce in you his life and the sinning will go down as you keep coming to Jesus and say, forgive me and work in me. Change me. Forgive me and change me. All right. We're going to just cruise through these last three things, okay? There's three ways that God um, makes us free and, and, and th- a couple ways that he, he describes our bondage. Look at this. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steady of what was passing away, here we see a bondage of secrecy. When you are living a performance-based life, you're secret about your failures. Moses had to hide his face because he was embarrassed about his performance and that he didn't have the glory of God. You and me, when we're living a performance-based life, we're embarrassed. And so we hide our failures. In, in grace, with the new covenant, we freely confess our failures and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me and change me? And we ask our brothers and sisters to pray for us. And we're open about our failures. See the difference? Two very different lives. The next one, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. But the veil is taken away in Christ. Even, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Here we see a bondage of blindness. So not only secrecy, but now blindness. Performance-based law-keeping blinds us from actually seeing the gospel. Our hearts are dark with self-sourced living. We can always tell someone who is stuck in performance-based 
old covenant ministry because they're really tired of doing it themselves. And sad because Jesus came to do it all for you. And he offers life. It's life giving, not life taking. That's what the gospel should be. It's sad. The next one is 2 Corinthians 3, 12 and 4. Therefore, we have such hope. We use great boldness of speech. And then in the other verse, verse 4, we have such trust through Christ towards God. Here we see a liberty, a liberty of speech. We are able to speak confidently in Christ and about Christ. When you're, when you're living in his grace, he is so um, alive in you that you just speak out, I'm so happy in the Lord. I'm so grateful for what he's done. I hear the amens and the yeah, like that's what it sounds like in our life. The next verse is, is 3.16 and 17. There, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Our whole life is just free. It's, we have liberty because we're following the spirit. God brings true freedom and wisdom to those who abide in Jesus through grace. That's how it works. And then it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here we see this final liberty that's mentioned, and it's the liberty of transformation. They, in the Old Covenant, they could see God, but it was like in a mirror. It was like, ah, I can kind of see what he's like through these Ten Commandments. But the most glorious, wonderful part about the New Covenant is you and I, we don't have to look through a mirror. We get the Spirit placed inside us, and we are just transformed into the same image that we can kind of see through the mirror. The law is the mirror. The law, the Old Covenant, shows us, yeah, it's kind of like this, but I kind of see things backwards, and there's some marks on the law. I don't quite understand it all. But when the Spirit comes into us, it says we're transformed by the Spirit of the Lord into the same glorious thing that we're, that we're a part of now, which is God himself. We are transformed by the Spirit. So all of those things, we're done now, are the contrasts between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I know we tore through that like a bunch of wild animals, okay? It's fine. It, it established for us that there's a vast difference between Old Covenant law-based living and New Covenant trust in Christ. Very different things. This, this takes years to grow in. In fact, we will never stop talking about it. We're not going to. Because our natural tendency is you and me drift back to law all the time. We, we just, it's our natural thing. And so we're going to keep studying this. I'm going to keep giving you handouts. We're going to keep talking about it because we've got to keep things in their proper place. The law is the law and it's great, but the new covenant is everything. It's all that we need, which is the life of Christ given to us. So I know that was a lot. Let us come. We got songs? We're going to worship some more. During, how many songs we got? Two more songs. All right. During these last couple songs, as the worship team comes up, uh, we have communion over here. So what, it, what communion reminds us of is we come up here, we take the, the bread and we break it, we eat it.
and we take the cup and we drink it, and that reminds us that we are agreeing that we are part of the new covenant because he said in Luke twenty two twenty, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus bought for us everything we read about today. It belongs to you. He bought it for us with a great price, that is his blood, and his body given for us. And so as we come and take this, we're saying, I sign up for it, I want it, and um, Lord, give it to me. I agree that I need it. So that's what we're saying as we go up here. And during these songs, spend some time with the Lord, thanking him and giving him praise for all that he has done for us.